Section 20 of The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Kaylee Monahan. The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies by Ethel Mary Brody. The waitresses whom the girls had been discussing went by the name of Faith Winston. For some time, she had been a waitress in the Boniface restaurant. Yet, no one except perhaps Betty knew her any better than the day she came. And not even Betty knew anything of her life history in the past. She came alone, no one knew from where, and she returned as she came. No one cared. For no one has time enough to care, and no one has care enough to be interested in the life of a mere waitress in New York. Like so many candles, they burn for so many moments, and when the wick flares out the last bit of life, their place knows them no more, and so ends the candle. Faith Winston was a tall, slender girl. Not a trace of color tinged her pale olive cheeks, and she possessed a pair of long, narrow gray eyes, strange eyes, that may have warmed in their time, but which turned a cold gaze on the world around her. A pretty girl was Faith, but wherein particularly lay her prettiness one could not say, unless it was that subtle something in expression which betrayed a glow of intense feeling beneath the coldness, a warmth that would have made her beautiful had her life found expression. It was like a river, deep and full, flowing silently to the sea beneath a shield of ice. Faith always dressed in black, which, although unobtrusive in color, enhanced her grace and intensified the pale olive of cheek and brow. The waves of her silky brown hair were parted in the center and gathered in a soft knot at the nape of her neck, a striking contrast to the ambitious pompadours of Marcel waving and soaring height which stiffly encircled the heads or flopped in tousled elegance into the eyes of the other waitresses a la mode. Faith moved about the restaurant with an air of being oblivious to her surroundings and unconscious of their meaning in her life. Faith may have studied the warfare of life and decided that her best course would be to stand alone, her natural self, and fight or die alone. Or she may have thought to win her battles by force of opposition and contrast. However it may have been, her general appearance, had she been a plain girl, would have been unnoticeable. But with her fine face and noble carriage, Faith was the most striking figure in the restaurant Boniface, and, although she was utterly unconscious of the fact, the customers of the male sex had considerably increased since she appeared. A thing of beauty is a joy forever, and a pretty woman is the goal of every man's admiration. Yet Faith had no man-friend, not even an acquaintance among them, and not from any unwillingness on their part. Faith's manner towards everyone was a study in dignity and reserve. If she unbent in the least, it was only in the slightest degree to Betty. All the waitresses admired her, not willingly. Faith's prettiness was rare, like the golden-hued diamonds. Her personality was almost quixotic in its charm of separation and aloofness, and both were marked among the mediocre faces and characters of those around her. Jealousy is the choice tidbit of ignorance, and Faith's unknown life and silent beauty met with a full share of this delectable dainty. Betty alone of all of them 
kept her thoughts of Faith to herself. Though she was shy in Faith's presence, she betrayed a loyalty and zeal almost fierce among her companions when Faith was the subject discussed and criticized. But Betty was too much a favorite with the girls to be condemned for this. She was their best friend, and each girl had a story in her remembrance of Betty's kindness and help in a time of need and distress. Thus, Betty became the peacemaker between Faith and the waitresses. Not one of them had courage to criticize or comment on Faith when she was present. They seemed to fear her. But Betty had to expend all her energies in making peace when Faith was not there. They felt that she was made of finer and better material than themselves, so they disliked her heartily. Envy was the cross, and resentment the consolation of their mediocrity. Each girl in the Boniface restaurant had her own little history. It may have been a quiet, insignificant one, fraught with its own sorrows, and lit with its small pleasures. Or, it may have been an exciting one, out in the world, in the glare of noonday. But it was a history of life, everyday life, and it interested Betty. Betty had a great heart, although she was unaware of it. Some of the girls had lives of duty to live, duty at home, duty at the restaurant Boniface. Many of their evenings were held in the reins of duty. The ties of sick ones, parents, or children bound them in the chains of immutable duty, hand and foot, every day, year in and year out. Others lived for pleasure, having a good time and lots of fun. They spent their little all on dress and theaters. They gadded here and there, wherever the gay pennons of pleasure fluttered before their eyes. Others still, and these were the girls whose lives cruelly pained Betty, died in living. They destroyed the womanly rights of their existence, sacrificed their names, their characters, their lives, to the passions of dress, money, admiration, and to the fury of a life of excitement. Fast, the world calls them. Betty loved them all, but she loved Faith above them all and kept her love sacred. There was a fineness in Betty's heart, the fineness of real and deep sympathy. Betty penetrated Faith's character and her thoughts to a certain extent by means of this rare and fine sympathy. And though Faith seldom spoke to any of the girls, what she said to Betty was worth listening to. So thought Betty and she never forgot any of her occasional short conversations with her beloved Faith. With the arrival of Faith Winston at the restaurant Boniface, a trial had come to Betty. She was fond of Sue, and Sue's life was all wrong. And the coming of Faith had made matters worse. The greatest opposition in the restaurant was between these two, an opposition that was physical as well as mental. Sue was a fair-haired, vulgar, selfish girl jealous, hard-hearted, and ignorant, a contrast in every way to the refined and gentle faith. Like all ignorant people, she was just as free with her opinions and criticisms of other persons as faith was wise, merciful, and silent. During meal hours, none of the waitresses had time to notice each other or the manners of male customers. Nevertheless, they were all aware that faith was the center of admiration and courtesies were paid her which were never rendered to themselves. Faith was oblivious, or if she did notice it, she did not care and did not encourage it. 
unasked, she was receiving the very things, admiration and attention, that Sue longed for, and the latter hated her for it. Faith avoided Sue more than any of the waitresses in the restaurant Boniface because she felt the hatred and pitied it sincerely. Indeed, Faith shrank from contact with the vulgar girl as one dreads a snake. No one noticed it but Betty. As she watched, she became convinced that it was not Sue herself that made Faith Winston turn away, but some stronger motive in Faith's life, probably some feeling which had its foundation in the past, a memory which influenced her manners, her words, and her actions in the restaurant Boniface. One day, Sue was more than ordinarily rude to Faith. An admirer of hers had been particularly polite and pleasant to the unconscious girl. Sue, with the weakness of her nature, grew angry, then revengeful. She blustered into Faith and brushed against her with every chance in waiting that brought them near each other. Betty had been quietly observing how things were going. As Sue never once looked in her direction, she had no way of signaling a warning to her or trying to prevent her marked and offensive rudeness. Presently, Faith came in with a tray of soup plates well-filled. Sue was crossing the room from a side table where she had gathered up some spoons and table napkins. As she saw Faith Winston coming, she deliberately crossed behind her and knocked her elbow. Down fell the tray with a crash. The soup splashed over a table nearby as the plates struck it in their fall, and it spilled over the front of Faith's skirt. Betty hurried to the rescue. Before she reached the spot, Sue's admirer was down on his knees, wiping off the soiled dress with his table napkin, and Sue looked at him with rage and dismay. Thank you, said Faith quietly, looking as calm and self-poised as usual. No thanks, please, returned the young man, glancing up with a smile. It's a pleasure to serve a lady like you. Faith smiled graciously in return, but said nothing. When she had finished, Betty slipped her arm through Faith's, a familiarity she had never used before, and they retired to the cloakroom together. A pan of warm water was soon made ready, and Betty silently set to work to clean the dress as best she could. I'm afraid it's going to stain, she remarked gently. Never mind. It does not matter, answered Faith. Something in the tone of her voice made Betty glance up. Faith's eyes were filled with tears. Betty bent her head lower over the skirt and rubbed it until it had some appearance of dryness. I don't want to be rude, but is it the only one you have? inquired Betty softly, hesitatingly, not wishing to offend her friend. No, I have other clothes, but I cannot, I mean to say, I do not wear them. That is all right, thanks. It does not need any more rubbing. And she stooped and ran her hand over the front of her dress. Sue passed the door at that moment, and Betty called to her, turning gravely around to face her. Well, what do you want? She snapped sulkily. You have been very rude to Miss Winston. Her dress is spoilt. You owe her an apology, and you have not even said you were sorry. Betty did not look at her as she spoke. She was giving the skirt a final rub and neither I am. Sue stopped short, for Faith had glanced up from her dress and fixed her long gray eyes full upon her with a look of pity and perhaps a tiny touch of contempt. I mean to say, stuttered the girl, abashed, I suppose I am sorry. Only suppose, 
exclaimed Betty with a little flash of anger. Don't you mean what you say? No, cried Sue doggedly. For a moment, no one spoke in the cloakroom. Neither Faith nor Betty moved their eyes from her face, and she dropped her eyes shamefacedly before them. But the stubborn expression only hardened. Say no more. It is nothing. And Faith turned to Betty. I feel sorry for her. Indeed, I pity her. She is a child yet, not in innocence, but in ignorance. And ignorance is the more helpless of the two. Its helplessness is the more pitiful. The harvest of such sowing is bitter. But it may open her eyes and bring her knowledge, as it has done for others since the world began. I don't want to know, said Sue obstinately. Perhaps you already know. In any case, you know the way of right and the end of wrong. The present is yours, and you live it as you please. But knowledge, such as I mean, will come with the future, and its fruit will be bitter to taste. God help you when it does come, for the consequences of lives such as yours are terrible, terrible. And an expression of intense pain and horror crossed Faith's face. Hearts like Sue's are not so hardened in wrongdoing at her age as they usually are in later years, and Faith's words and the suffering which flashed in her face made their impression on the weak girl. She stood irresolutely in the doorway and murmured, I'm sorry I did what I did, but I couldn't help it. That is, I couldn't help my feelings. Sue made an attempt at a smile and then awkwardly left the room and went back into the restaurant. How hopeless it is to help girls like that, sighed Betty. Their feelings guide them in everything. It seems impossible to appeal to their reason or sense, if they have any. I've tried so often to reason with that poor, wayward girl. Yes, it does seem hopeless. The impulse of a moment will carry them wherever so it leads. Their better feelings come and go impulsively, less and less frequently as the years roll onward, and as they continue in the way they have chosen. Sue was touched just now, and it was her better self. But will it last? And Faith sighed. Betty shook her head sadly. God knows. With some of us, it takes more than human aid to help us out of a tight corner or out of the mire. Human beings may help us some, but if you haven't got a bit of God in your heart, you're nowhere. That's what I've experienced. And I guess I'm right. Poor Sue. She has done her worst to me today. And also her best. Perchance she may improve after all. Who knows? Little seeds of self-forgetfulness have a wonderful way of budding out into good trees. And Faith smiled hopefully as they returned to the restaurant. End of section 20. This recording is by Kaylee Monahan.